Um, so it's now my privilege to introduce Randy Cottingham. He's been our pastor for almost 10 years, um, and he, he would probably say five wonderful years. Um, in, in ter- four, four wonderful. <laughs> That's right. Um, and, you know, it's been a great walk with him. I, when we were first, uh, when that was made clear that this was the direction the Lord was, was taking us, um, he wasn't like us. And so we didn't uh, understand, you know, what the Lord was doing. And we kept asking the Lord, are you sure? And he said he was sure. So we, um, we started uh, finding our rhythm with the Cottinghams. And I feel like a couple of years ago, probably two years ago, we really just started, um, two or three years ago, just started hitting a, this four, apparently, uh, started hitting a rhythm that, uh, that was great. And he's grown me and changed me. And he has uh, been a great mentor to us uh, in business, in family, in, uh, in our walks with the Lord. And what I love about Randy is that he knows that the, the Father is telling a story through each of us. And, and it's his role in, in our life to help bring that story out. And, um, and so I, I, I love him. He is um, our spiritual father and a great man. <laughs> Andy Cottingham. You got it just for this occasion. You should be, the men should be getting cards right now. Do you have them already? All right, let's see what it says up here. Nothing. All right, on the envelope, would you put your name and address? We'll start with that. You're going to get mail. How are we coming along with that? Does, do you have a card? We need extra pens. La pluma. There's another pen I found. <laughs> Anybody need a pen? Raise your hand. Ladies, will you pull the pens out of your purses and help these men? <laughs> Yeah, where's the send button? This is going to be really weird for you to get something in the mailbox, isn't it? Okay, uh, I like to multitask, so where the stamp goes, this is just, it's not holding you to anything. But if you had to guess, how many people would come next year when it's the ladies, you're bringing your families and you? Just write a number in there. If, you, if you're going to bring your spouse, write two. Uh, Everybody over five, put on the left-hand side, and put plus if you have somebody under five, because that way we'd know maybe how much child care we might need. So you put like, if, if it's just you, put one plus zero. If it's you and your spouse, put two plus zero. Uh, if it's you and your spouse and you just got married last month, put two plus question mark. Uh, otherwise, like if you have three five-year-old, three under five, put two plus three. Does that get it? Do you understand what I'm asking you to do? Is this really confusing? All right, well, what I want where the stamp goes, because we're going to, before we put a stamp on there, we're going to read what your number is. It's to give us an idea how many people are going to be coming next year. Just write how many people do you think you would bring to this conference next year. If it's just you and your wife, put two. Does that make sense? All right, now let's get the cards out. 
right at the top of the card, this is when, just like it says up here, I hope. Just write that. And then I'll tell you what that is. However you like to write to yourself. You can write upside down, sideways. It won't matter to me. You're going to get the card. That means this is what's important now. And what I'm asking you men to do is, in reference to what you've heard this week, I want you to write down one or two things that you think are important right now. And then we're going to send this to you sometime in the next month or two, just as a reminder of what you said was important now today. Is that clear? So we'll give you a couple of minutes to do that. We can get them all back. Last September, Brian uh, Emmett came and uh, he spoke at our Labor Day camp and he talked a lot about how we shouldn't be walking with God. And then he challenged us in how we should walk with God. And I guess to me that really sparked something. I, I appreciate the fact that he didn't try to define too much our individual walk with the Father. And so beginning then, I've really been on a a search, I guess, is to understand what it might look like to walk with him and not in a way that's, I, I don't want to describe the whole book, but uh, not under his legalism or trying to serve him in a weird way, but really to just walk along with him down a path of life. And that sparked in me a journey myself, and I wanted to tell you a little bit of a story today about elk hunting, and then I think from that there's three things I want to to bring out that I think are important uh, about perseverance, about the loving kindness of the Father, and then about knowing Him and Him knowing us. So we'll start with the story first. Um, I'll get rid of this, but I like to bow hunt. I started 10 years ago, and unfortunately or fortunately, the first year I went, I ended up getting an elk. It was a cow elk, which I guess everybody wants a bull elk, but uh, I was hooked and so I've gone to Colorado almost every year. I've missed twice, I think, to go with my friend. And we go way up in the mountains. Up at those are mountains, yep. We go, we go way up in the mountains. We stay in a cabin. Uh, we used to just camp out under the, under the stars when we began, but then we made a hookup with a guy that had a cabin, and that was a little bit better. And uh, so Gary and I will go out. We usually will leave the cabin pretty early in the morning, 5, 5.30, and head out to go see what we can find. And uh, there's a lot you have to know about elk hunting. And there's a lot I've learned in the last 10 years. You have to worry about whether they see you, whether they smell you, whether they hear you, whether they feel you because you're walking around too heavily. You have to worry about uh, stopping by a, ch a chipmunk's tree and he goes or a squirrel and they go crazy and they let all the elk in the neighborhood, I suppose, know you're there. I don't know. But they get to yelling pretty good. Of course, we put on the camo, we put on the, see, I'm just like the candidate Ryan. I saw an ad with him where he talked about putting on the deer scent. We have the deodorant so we don't stink, and all the things we do to camouflage ourselves. We even have little, uh, little cubes or little discs that have elk urine in them, and you kind of carry those around, so you're supposed to be fooling that bull into thinking you're a cow. I, I don't know, it's <laughs> kind of weird, but hey, this is, remember, ladies, this is a men's group right here. So uh, 
So there's a lot to do that, and there's a lot to learn when you're doing something like elk hunting. And there's two ways you can do it. You can sit still, which that's kind of how I got the first one. I sat still, and we ended up talking to each other, and finally came down, and I ended up shooting the cow. But, or you can go out, which is what I like to do. I don't like to sit still. So my goal in life is to walk up on one and shoot him that way. Okay? So I'll take you back to that day, which is this year, right after this conference. It was uh, about 4.40, no, 4.49 in the morning, because I'll wake up, we get up at 5, and we're just laying there waiting for the alarm clock to go off so we can get, get up and get our breakfast and head on out. And uh, are you ready, Patrick? Because at uh, 4.59, I heard, if I can do this. Are you hearing elk? Well, when you hear that, that's pretty darn exciting. And uh, actually, I heard that at, I didn't know it at 3 in the morning, and my wife will laugh because this happened to me one time skiing too. But uh, there was an elk that bugled like at 3 in the morning, and I didn't have a watch because my watch was dead. And so I got up and got everybody to say, they're bugling, we've got to get going. And <laughs> it's 3 o'clock in the morning when it's too early to go. But this morning, it was the right time, so... Everybody gets up and we're all scurrying around eating our breakfast and thinking about what we're going to do and how we're going to go after this guy because when you hear a bugle, you know where on the mountain to travel. So I'm getting ready. It's, it, I'm out the door by 5.30 and I'm starting to think about everything I've learned over the years so I don't screw this up. <laughs> and as I start out the door, he's bugled like this way and then he bugled that way and then he bugled that way, which is about... All in all, about three-quarters of a mile. It's not that far away, but a lot of trees and brush and things between me and that. So I headed out, and it was the most successful hunt I'd ever had, in my opinion. And what I did was just begin to think about all that I'd learned in the last eight years. And the main thing was I would go. It took me three and a half hours to get to this elk, by the way, and I only went three-quarters of a mile. And it took that long because... I would take a step, and then I would look around and see what is it I can or cannot step on. And I would take another step. And I would just, and then every once in a while I'd look up and look maybe 10, 12 feet away, kind of make a pattern, and then I'd head out again. And then every once in a while I'd look up further, because I knew the elk was way up where I couldn't see him. And mostly, though, there was this constant conversation and it wasn't just a conversation with me. It was a conversation with the Lord. I mean, it's like, all right, Father, where am I going now? I don't want to mess this up. And a, and a conversation with the elk, like, I hope you stay up there. And a conversation with myself. And what uh, was very, I think the term I would use, it was very much about staying in the moment and not rushing ahead to the future. But not going so slow, because if you go too slow, this elk is up the mountain. In the morning when you get up, the cool air comes down the mountain. If you wait too long, the air goes up the mountain. And he's going to smell you. So you have to... John Wooden, one of my heroes, says, be quick but don't hurry. And so it's taking three and a half hours to go three quarters of a mile. And I only broke one stick the whole way up there. And... For instance, if you see a fallen tree, which we're going through Aspen, there's a lot of fallen trees. 
you would go to the base of the tree because up here all the branches are broken. You've got all these little sticks to step on. So I had to work trees back into this message because it's been a theme this week. And uh, so three and a half hours getting up there, and I'd stop and refresh myself, get a drink, get something to eat to make sure what if I, when I did see the elk, I wouldn't be, like, too tired to even shoot it. And so taking the time, going up there, and finally, there he was. There he was, finally, there he was. There he was! Actually, I came upon, I was just standing here thinking, where am I going to go next? Out of the corner of my eye, this six-by-six bull elk, probably 1,200 pounds, he was just doing this. He was just, they make a bunch of noise if, if you ever get close enough to hear it. And he's just lollygagging along, and I'm going, oh, my gosh. And I got down. I did everything right. I got my bow ready. I pulled, drew the arrow, crouched down. But unfortunately, there was a bunch of these, well, I call them sumac, but they're not sumac. A bunch of brand. I didn't have a shot. But I was from here to that wall from him. And I went away that day. Really, I mean, there was a disappointment in not getting him, but really, what I realized, I just started playing a reel in my head of all the lessons I had learned over the years that got me to be able to get that close. And I know one day I'll get that close and get the elk. But to have the capacity to do that, well, I go back to the, this is kind of an aside, but I go back and I describe it to Gary, who's my mentor in elk hunting. And he said, why didn't you just stand up and shoot it? And I said, I said well, you didn't say to do that. I, he said, he said, well, there's a lot of things I haven't told you yet. I said, oh, great. So uh, anyway, that was, the, that was my experience there. So why do I tell that story? I've got some questions for us to talk about today. In this journey where we're following closely, you know, how are we to go? And Romans 8, 24, 25 says, For in hope we have been saved, but not hope that is seen. The hope that is seen is not hope, for why does one hope for something that he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. Well, if you listen, with perseverance we wait. There's a healthy tension in those words. I think when we're young, we want to persevere, but we want to do it about 100 miles an hour. And the reality is, we persevere like like two tectonic plates rubbing against each other for a thousand years, and finally there's an earthquake. We just persevere step by step by step, and we're asking the Father, what's the next step? And we don't want to get too far ahead, because if you get too far ahead, you'll break the sticks. I mean, you'll do something that blows the whole deal, and then you get to go back around the horn, and next year go hunting again, and go step by step by step. So I think the thing I asked myself when I was preparing last week thinking what to say, I thought, well, young men, don't get ahead of yourself. Don't be so anxious that you miss the journey, because it really is about the journey. And all of us, and all the guys that are 50 and over raised their hand, we were in a hurry. It's just natural. We get in a hurry. We want to get there now, and we think life's going to pass us by, and we get all revved up by this culture and this advertising and all that's going on in our lives, and we think everything's about hurry, and it's not about hurry. It's about step by step having a conversation, walking with the Father on this journey that we want to do. Psalm 138.8, it says, The Lord will accomplish what concerns me. You don't have to worry about that. He's superintending your life. 
You don't have to just get all anxious and freaked out that, wow, I may miss it. Certainly we don't want to be sluggish, but we don't want to run ahead either. And with good counsel, um, staying in the Word, speaking with the Holy Spirit, listening to Him and obeying, you'll be there on time, and everything that He intended for your life will happen. And you can rest assured in that. Second question. That was like, how are we going? Well, where are we going? Have you ever thought about that? We're on a journey and we're talking about going somewhere. And to whom are we going? Well, you know, your destiny is not geographic. Your destiny is a person. Your destiny is the Father. That's where we are going. We're not going someplace. We're going into Him. We're going to Him. It's, um, and then I think about that because... I think, well, so why are we so afraid? A lot of what Brian talked about was the fact that um, so much of our religion, so much of what we've done to serve God or to be right with Him is based on our fear of Him and our misunderstanding of who He is. And so we find ourselves wearing ourselves out or hiding who we really are or doing so many things that have nothing to do with walking with Him. And we have to understand that we don't need to be afraid. In fact, religion is almost like a, we try to do this bait and switch like, God, look at all I've done. Will you accept me? Instead of leading with our heart and saying, well, here's who I really am. So we don't really understand his posture or his nature towards us. Psalm 109.21 says, Thou, O God, the Lord, deal kindly with me for thy name's sake. It was mentioned here earlier this week, man, that we're his pearl. The church is his pearl. He wants to deal kindly with us. Now, that, that doesn't mean in his loving kindness that he doesn't deal uh, clearly with us, just like we do our children. It there's, there's, doesn't mean there's not correction, but it's always out of a kind heart. 138, Psalm 138.8, Thy loving kindness, O Lord, is everlasting. Psalm 136, 26 different times it says, Thy loving kindness is everlasting. We have a kind and loving Father, one who is looking for us to come to him just as he's coming to us. And we can be assured of that, and we can trust in his loving kindness. It says, my heart shall, in uh, Psalm 13, 5 and 6, I have trusted in thy loving kindness. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Everyone here that's followed the Lord 20, 30, 40 years, I think would say the Lord has dealt bountifully with me. I mean, when you consider who we are, because we're the ones that know who we are, even if we haven't revealed it to anybody else, we know, we know the nature, the fallen nature of ourselves. And we look at where we are today and we think, the Lord has dealt bountifully with me. We can bank on that. So that's um, how we're going and where we're going. But then there's a big question, why are we going? Let's get on it. Let's follow closely. Let's uh, finish well. What are we going to finish? Do you remember the first question in the Bible? What was it? Genesis 3.9, where are you? Again, somebody talked about us getting back to what normal relationship was supposed to be with the Father. Well, he's looking and saying, well, where are you? He wants to know. Why would he ask that? Matthew 7.22.23, do you remember that verse? Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. The way that word is used is, I never experienced relationship with you. 
You were out doing all this stuff, but you never came and experienced a relationship with me. And that's what the Father's looking for. He wants to know us above all else, and he's a loving and kind Father who's trying to help us come to know him. That's why we're on the journey, 1 Corinthians 13. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. You know, I think that's about the eyes. He wants to look directly in our eyes, and he wants us to look directly in his. And what are the eyes? They're the connection to the heart. He wants to see our heart. He says, now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, just as I also have been fully known. I know in one sense God knows everything about us. But when we come with who we are to him, that's being known by him. So we, there is an element of us being known by the Father just as we learn to know him. We patiently persevere towards a Father who's loving and kind and he wants to know us. The real message from 13.9 that's being worked in my opinion over the whole spectrum of history is come out of hiding. Uh, come out of hiding and let me know who you are. Walk as a community that knows who each other is and then present a clear picture and a clear community where people could come in. I, I think what would happen if we really recognized that we had a loving and kind father and we developed a loving and kind community where people could come and be vulnerable, be transparent, be changed, be conformed to him. And I think, well, maybe they could take their camouflage off to have my camouflage on. And I want to thank uh, Sebastian for helping me with this today. And they'd come, and they were able to reveal their heart of who they really are. (laughs) And you notice there's some dark part of the heart. And that's who we are. And we have to be able to be who we are. And if we had a community where, first of all, we could be transparent with each other and then demonstrate loving kindness toward those that are out there who are lost, who are being taken advantage of by Satan every day and being beat down, and they think there is no real church out there, there is no real bride, there is no real uh, kingdom. We could be, as Jamie introduced in our whole conference, the incarnated church, the incarnated bride of Christ. So that's our challenge today. Can we become that? Thank you.